Good morning. Why don't you turn in your Bible to Luke 24. If you've fallen in the habit of not having a Bible with you when you're here, you might want to change that. We're going to... Well, you just need to check me out and make sure I'm not making stuff up. Mostly. We all come into this world with a sense of expectancy. We call it hope. It's not really hope, but for teaching's sake, we're going to use that. It's more like a wishful thinking for something specific to happen. And we live in that. I hope this happens. Start off very young. Hope I get what I want for Christmas. Hope I'm picked for the Little League baseball team. That expectancy, that longing, that desire for something specific to happen. It grows as we get over. Boy, I hope I do good on that test. I hope I get that scholarship that I wanted. I hope those bullies don't pick on me today. I hope that person that doesn't like me will start liking me. I hope my dad quits drinking. I hope my mother doesn't have another episode. I hope she can get some help. I hope my parents don't get divorced. I hope I find that person that completes me. I hope my marriage lasts forever. I hope the results come back favorable on that test. And there's this sense of longing for something specific to happen, and it, it almost kind of keeps us going because it's, it's always there. And we call it, we hope something happens. We hope we can make it. We hope we can go in the military and survive. But sometimes not just through one event. Sometimes it's just one event. Sometimes it's many events that take place. And that hope begins to be diminished. Or it becomes dashed against the rocks of life experience. And if it happens often enough and it happens traumatic enough and it happens significant enough, we become hopeless. We just don't expect anything good to happen. Disciples were not exempt from that experience. They had a sense of expectancy. They had a longing for something to happen. And an event took place that in their mind dispelled that expectancy, that hope. And we pick up on it in Luke 24, verse 13. Behold, two of them, being the disciples, were going that very day to a village 
named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. Jesus had just died, been crucified, three days in the grave, rose from the grave. Mary's, the ladies had gone to the tomb and found him missing. Peter went. He wasn't there. They really weren't sure what to think. But they're walking down the road and they're talking about the events that had just happened. Usually what happens whenever an event of trauma that dispels our hope or a series of events and trauma that dispels our hope and it stays with us. And usually we deal with it in one of two ways. We may deal with it by talking about it incessantly. You're around people that way. They recall events that happened 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And every time you get around them, this happened to me, this happened to me, that took place. And for some people, it's, they feel that it's lethargic, although they never get over it. They just continue to talk about it. And others are, deal with it a different way. Their objective is to push it down, never talk about it, hide it, suppress it, ignore it, play like it doesn't there, play like it's not there. But in either case, the emotion attached to that memory is as raw as it was when it first happened. You listen to some people talk about something that happened to them that they were disappointed in or that they lost their hope in or that was traumatic to them or affected them severely. And then you ask them, well, when did that happen? Well, it was 20 years ago. But it's still tender. There's still an unhealed wound. There's still an undealt with trauma. There's still an unresolved conflict. Boy, I hope my spouse will be better. I hope my siblings will like me. I hope they will embrace me. Let me be a part of what they're doing. And the emotion and the pain is still there after years and years of rehearsing it and nursing it, and it's still there. Indicating it's still unresolved. Talking through it hasn't done anything. Suppressing it hasn't made it go away. And here the disciples are walking down the road and they said, they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Now think about that context. The question has come about because they've gone to the tomb. Jesus wasn't there. Well, where'd he go? Well, we don't know. Well, here they are walking down the road talking about, well, we don't know what happened. We don't know where Jesus went. And Jesus shows up while they're there. Look at the next verse, which I think is the saddest verse in the Bible. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. What prevented their eyes from recognizing him? I believe the verse before it. 
Here they were. They had a perspective of what had taken place. They had a perspective of their, their dreams, their ideals, their expectancies in Christ. And it seemed that that's been shattered. And they're so literally consumed with the disappointment that they missed the presence of Jesus in their midst. Didn't see Jesus. I didn't know Jesus was there. What a perfect representation of us. We get so consumed about the pain, so consumed about the hurt, so consumed about the disappointment, so consumed about what happened back there that we are caught up in it. And we completely ignore the reality that Jesus was there when that happened and I didn't see him. And I think we may discover that it really wasn't the event that brought so much pain, but it was the perception that God didn't care, that he wasn't there, that he wasn't involved. And here they are walking down the road, talking about Jesus and talking about what had happened and talking about the events. Jesus shows up and they don't even recognize him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. The emotion attached to it. The pain attached to it. The disappointment attached to it. That, their perception of what had taken place and Jesus showing up, their perception was so deep in their heart that rather than experience the joy and the excitement and the fulfillment, it still brought sadness, even though Jesus is standing there asking them, tell me about these events that took place. That's how large the disappointment was. That's how painful the disappointment can be. That's how traumatic Things that happen to us can take in our life. Miss Jesus altogether. And they were sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things that have happened in these days? I mean, everybody knows. Are you the only one here that? Didn't catch on to what happened. Now think about who he's talking to. The one it all happened to. They can't see it because of their perception of what had taken place. And Jesus, I, I, this is my paraphrase. Jesus plays along, okay? He said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping, and therein lies the issue, we were anxiously desiring and longingly wanting this to happen. 
We wanted the Messiah to come, conquer Rome, free us from the bondage of all of this. We wanted him to come and set up the new Jerusalem. We wanted him to come. I had a certain way that I wanted life to play out, and it didn't play out that way. And it's become such a traumatic event for me. I can't even see Jesus in the middle of it. I was hoping. I was wishful. I was anticipating that it was he going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all these things, it's the third day since these things happened. They were listening. They were listening to what Jesus said. Tear down this temple in three days, God will raise it back up again. They were aware in three days something's supposed to happen. But the information did them no good because of the perception they had of what had just taken place. And they missed Jesus completely. How many times is that true? We can't figure out why our theology isn't doing any good. Because of the pain we're feeling. Yes, I know God loves me, but I'm in terrible pain. Yes, I know God will take care of me, but this is so difficult and hard. Because it's just that. It's just information. Deed, besides this, this is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb And found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And then Jesus responds. At that point, the disciples could have said, we really don't want to hear it. We don't know who you are. You don't even know what's been going on the last three days. And it's so painful, we just don't want to talk about it. It's so difficult. I don't want to deal with the past. I don't want to hurt again by reliving what just happened. Let's just go on. Ignore it. Had they done that, life for them would have been defined by their perspective of the events That had happened to them. Life, their life would have been defined by that event. Yeah, Jesus came, you know, he was supposed to come and he was supposed to do this and my hope was in that. He didn't come and now we don't have a savior and now we don't have any way to get free from Rome and, and now life is just difficult. And their emotions would have been frozen in time and sadness and hopelessness would have been etched in their soul and been a part of their life forever. It would have defined their personality. Because my perspective is right about what happened to me. My view of what happened is right. I wouldn't believe something that's not true. And here Jesus is in their presence wanting to give them a different perspective. And they could have very easily said, not interested. 
not want to know about it. But look what Jesus did. He revealed their experience from God's perspective. O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the scriptures concerning himself in all the scriptures. Now let me tell you something. In most likely, they were good Jews. And most likely, they knew all the scripture he was going to talk about. But I want to tell you something. When it comes from the mouth of Jesus to your heart, it makes all the difference in the world. It is life-giving. And here Jesus took things they knew in the scripture and he reminded him it was necessary for the Messiah to die. It was necessary so that he could rise from the grave. All of this was necessary and was foretold by the prophets and he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus comes and he says, in essence, you have your perspective. I'm not gonna deny that it didn't happen. I'm not going to deny that it didn't happen the way you explained it. I'm not going to challenge the way you perceived it. I just want to give you a different perspective. I want to give you God's perspective. Because your perspective is not the only one there is. As a matter of fact, your perspective is flawed. Wow. They approached the village where they were going. And he acted as though he were going further, but they said to him, stay with us, for it's getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. Breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Whoa! He just kept on revealing himself kept on revealing a new perspective. And all of a sudden, their eyes were open, and they said, that's Jesus. All right, now you can conquer Rome. Now you can do all that stuff, and look what happened. And then he vanished. Hey, wait, 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 wait. You just come here, and you show up, and you reveal yourself, and you tell us, and then you split? What kind of deal is that? That's bait and switch. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Wasn't God doing something in our heart when he was talking to us? The answer is yes. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the 11 and those who were with him saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experience on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be you. And they go, whoa, wait a minute. You got to quit doing that. We talk to you and you disappear and now we're talking about you and you show up again. What's up with that? 
peace be to you. They were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands, my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see. For spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of the joy and amazement. It's just too good to be true. He said to them, you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of bread and broiled fish. He took it and ate it before them. He said some things to them. And then look in verse 52. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. From sadness to joy. All because Jesus revealed to them God's perspective about what had happened to them. They became willing. Well, let's hear what you have to say about this experience. They didn't just shut him out. They didn't just say, no, don't talk about it. I can't go there. That's going to be too painful to relive that. That's going to be too difficult for you to bring that up again. Rather, they listened with their heart and they embraced God's perspective about the events that had caused them to lose hope. And they embraced it and it brought a heart of worship and a heart of joy back into their life. I usually don't get much revelation from TV. But this week, two weeks ago, I think I was watching a movie, and I'm not going to tell you the name of the movie, and if you've seen it, you'll figure it out as I describe it. But, uh, you know, it wasn't a Christian movie, and uh, but God still spoke. But the premise of this movie is Dakota Fanning is a little girl, and she's the daughter of a, I can't ever tell whether he's a a drug dealer or just a businessman in Mexico, but he's married this blonde-headed lady who has a blonde-headed daughter, uh, and that's Dakota Fanning. And they're very wealthy, and they live in what appears to be either Guadalajara or Mexico City, a big city, and they hire Denzel Washington to be her bodyguard. Now, Denzel Washington has basically, up until this point in his life, been an assassin. You can't tell if it's probably for the government or for hire or what, but he has had a horrible life. And he carries a bullet with him, and he has plans for that bullet. And every day he sits down and he loads his nine millimeter. And he holds it up to his head and decides, what am I going to end it today? Every day he takes it out, puts it in a little box and holds it. Well, needless to say, he's in much pain and got his own issues and he just wants to do a job with this girl. Really isn't interested in engaging her. Well, she's very precocious and very questioning and very, I mean, she just presses him, you know, and, and, you know, he says, I don't want to talk to you no more. And he stops at a red light. So she jumps out of the front seat and gets in the back and just sits there. Well, the parents leave and go out of town and he takes her to a Catholic school and the, and, uh, he meets the head nun later on that week. She's taking swimming lessons. 
So he takes her to the swim meet. He runs into the nun again, and he says, yeah, her parents aren't here. You know, I'm here today with her. And the the, the nun says, (laughs) he says, today you're her father. And you can see, oh, I wouldn't, I'm not interested in that. But you can see it tug at his heart. So she gets on the blocks for the swim, and she everybody's lined up to go, and the starter gun fires, and everybody jumps in and swims down and comes back. And they get out, and on the way home, he says, okay, you know, he's thinking, I'm going to try to engage her. And he says, you swim really fast. She said, yeah, but I never finish better than first or second. And he said, you're the fastest one in the pool, but you're the slowest one off of the blocks. What do you think you should do about that? She said, get faster off the blocks. He said, yeah. So the next scene, you see them in their home pool, and she's up on the blocks by herself, and he's standing behind her with these two pieces of two-by-four. And she's just standing there ready to go, and he's rubbing them together, and he's talking to her and saying things to her, and he slaps them together, and he says, what'd you do? She said, I flinched. And he said, that's right, you flinched. And he said this, the gunshot holds no danger. I'm sorry, the gunshot holds no fear. That gunshot holds no fear for you. And you can see it having a, and you'll understand this, a positive negative effect. Because now she's no longer afraid of the gunshot. And he says, say it, the gunshot holds no fear. Say it again, the gunshot holds no fear. Say it again, the gun, say it louder. She screams it, the gunshot holds no fear. Dealing with that negative, that fear that's there. And then he says this, you are tethered to that block until you hear the gunshot. Here's the negative. The gunshot holds no fear. Here's the positive. You're tethered to that block till you hear the gunshot. So now it's no longer an anxiety about hearing it. There's okay, it's safe. But not only is that, there is an expectation of bring it on. <clears throat> Come on, gunshot. I mean, I'm, I'm ready. I'm not afraid of you anymore. You bring it on. I am ready to go. He works with her that, and she ends up winning the race. And I've seen that, I don't know how many times. <laughs> And the Lord said, that's how we are. We're scared to death to go back and allow God to deal with those wounds and that pain in our heart. We're afraid to allow him to finger it. We're afraid to let him give us his perspective because we don't want to hurt anymore. If I go back and and, and let God finger that in my heart, that's going to be painful. That's going to be difficult. And I want to say to them, there's no fear in the gunshot. There's no fear in going back. 
And I say to people that, that we talk with that struggle with that, I say to them, you know what? This could be the last time there is ever pain associated with that memory. See, I, we thought, well, I just forget it. If I can just forget about it. And we don't. We just push it down and then put makeup on it. It's like a bruise on an arm with makeup on it. We can't see the bruise, but let somebody poke that bruise. And there's a reaction beyond what would be called for. And we have this trauma. We have this pain. We have this unforgiveness. We have this anxiety. We have this bitterness. We have this resentment that we hold inside because of this experience that took place with us and we're scared to death of the gunshot. We're scared to death of God saying, let's deal with that. And I want to say to them, this could be the last time that you ever have pain associated with that memory. Listen, I don't believe God wants us to ever forget anything. Because everything that's happened to me, God has used to conform me to the image of his son. The good, the bad, the ugly, the hard, the easy, the difficult. He uses all of that to conform me. And for me to want to forget it is to say, God, there was a portion of my life that you had nothing to do with. You can't redeem it. You can't do anything with it in my life. Let's just forget it. I don't believe God wants, doesn't want, doesn't, I don't believe God wants us to forget it. But I do believe he wants to remove the pain from the memory. That I can say to you, here's what happened to me. And here's how God redeemed it. And he can redeem it in you as well. There's no fear in the gunshot. And you are tethered to that experience until you hear the gunshot. You are locked emotionally into that trauma until you let God heal it. And psychiatrists and psychologists say that not only that, but we usually don't age emotionally beyond what we were when that trauma or that event happened. That's a part of our life. God wants to mature us in to where we are mature in our emotions and mature in our understanding. But until we allow God to go back in our heart and search that and reveal his perspective, we are locked into that experience. That's why we don't want to talk about it. That's why we try to hide it, or that's why we constantly talk about it. Because it still plays an part in our life. Any events that we rehearse and nurse, that the pain is still there, God wants to heal that in our heart. He brought these guys from a misconception about how the experience was 
which produced sadness in their life to a place of joy because they saw God's perspective. I encourage you to ask the Father, are there any events in my life that I'm not willing to allow you to give me your perspective in? Don't go looking, okay? Because you'll find some real and imagined. The enemy will load you up with them. I'm not asking you to go back and search your life. I'm asking you to ask the Father, is there any events in my life? And if he wants to show you, he'll show you. And if he doesn't, play ball. Ask him, are there any events in my life? Are there things that I need your perspective for? Painful things in my life that I need your perspective in? Are there people that I need to forgive that have hurt me, that shattered my hope? Ask him, Father, where were you when that happened to me? You might be surprised where he was. What is your perspective of what happened to me? And then when he shows you, choose to embrace that perspective and release yours. To replace his perspective with my perspective. That brings wholeness to our heart. I believe God wants us to live transparent. We talk about being transparent with one another, but I'm talking about being being transparent with God. That there's not any area in my life that I'm not willing for him to work in. There's no trauma in my life that I'm not willing for him to heal. There's no pain, there's no experience in my life that I'm not willing for him to give me his perspective on. Just because you do that doesn't mean you're mature. But what it means is you will never get mature until you do that. Because we'll always be hiding stuff trying to hide it from him. He's going, I know, you know, I I know exactly what happened to you. Are you willing to hear what I have to say about that? Thank God it's not based on what we do, but it's based on his mercy, and he is merciful to us. My Father, first thing that stands out in my heart right now is your patience with us. Some of us have been praying and reading, studying, confessing years and years and years. We're still guarded about those wounds, that heart, that hurt in our life. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for bringing us 
to the point that we'll be willing to allow you to finger our heart with the hand of love and impart your love and your perspective to us that we might be free, that we might be able to get off of the blocks and live the way you want us to be in freedom from all of that. So we bless you today. We thank you for what you're going to do. And we praise you for being so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Any questions? Okay. Any? Say that again. What if you revel in the pain? What if you embrace the pain? That's a good question. What I discovered is people that embrace the pain, revel in the pain, to them, that's the only indicator they have that they're still alive, is that they feel pain. Because they think everything else is not available to them. And the truth of the matter is, joy is available to them. Peace is available to them. And they need to come to the point that they realize how much God loves them. And pain is not the only indicator that we're alive. Joy is an indicator. Peace is an indicator. So it's a misconception of what God's posture towards me is. That he loves me. He doesn't want me to live in pain. He doesn't want pain to be the motivator of my life. He wants love to be that motivator. And it's a long process because that's why people cut themselves. That's why people hurt themselves. That's the only indication they have they're still alive. Everything else has, has gone by them. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, and we're all at different places. Yeah, you see, and, and people aren't, some people aren't ready to hear a different perspective, and that's true. You know, a guy asked me this week, he said, if someone comes to you and says, how do I get to heaven, what would you tell them? And I said, you know what, I don't have a pat answer anymore. I'd want to know where they are. I want to know where God has them. I want to know what they're open to. I want to know at what stage is God working in their life. And the same is true with this. People that aren't ready to receive that, we just have to be willing to share whatever the Father gives us to share and go on because he has to work in their heart to bring them to the place that they're ready to receive that. And that's frustrating sometimes. But we have to trust that the Father hurts more for them than I do and cares more about them than I do. And he's the only one who can do anything about it. Does that help any? We can talk more about that later, Tony, if you want to. Anyone else? Let him, let him, give him free reign in your heart. We're going to, I think, we're going to start in Galatians. And it's all about freedom. Freedom. Freedom! About our play that. Freedom! Will they rip him apart? No, no, no. Anyone else?